You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 166, covering Playing God and Profit and Loss. Greetings, friends. Hi to you people out there in television land. I think podcast listeners could live in television land. There's nothing saying they can't. Yeah, why not? We are talking about a television show, after all. That's true. That makes sense, yeah. Well, I, I just pulled t- that right out of my ass. I, I... Do people on TV listen to tell or do people on TV listen to television? Yeah, good yes. sense, Matt. <laughs> Moving on. People on TV do listen to podcasts. I saw an episode of Parks recently where uh, Tom Haverford said that radio is terrible, podcasts are great, and I was waiting for the joke, and that was it. Yep. Like, are they making fun of podcasts? Was that the joke, or was he just saying that? I mean, radio is terrible. Yeah. I would definitely say podcasts are better than radio. Well, in that you have a large selection of very specifically targeted things that you can choose from. Although now all of my podcasts contain irritating ads, so... Not all of them. All of the ones I listen to do. Not this one. That's true. We're the last one. We're the bastion. Incidentally, our episode guide will be available in a few weeks. (laughs) Order now. You probably... No, I don't think you can order now. I haven't... Don't order now. Order later. This will remind me to put it on the website or I'll probably forget. All right. That's fine, too. Somebody uh, pointed out to me that uh, I forgot to click the button for people to be able to buy shirts if you live elsewhere than the U.S. I fixed that. Good, good. And I don't. I feel like I don't mention that enough that we do sell T-shirts that we do. Uh, that have some great art that people have drawn for us and the logo that our pal Vichel made for us. And uh, yep, if you want a post-atomic horror shirt, they are there at our store. Get so. yourself a Quark shirt or an I Armas Pa shirt. Yep, or the classic Pa logo. Yep, or I think we have a couple of Ramones uh, cover art things that he drew for us as well. Excellent. That thing Long is shirts. gorgeous. Yep, that guy is great. Yep. We we mentioned that before, but we'll we'll say it again. He's still great. Yeah, he's, he's he gives still us the great. chocolate cake. Yep, by which we mean cover art. Yes, and gives. A, I mean, we 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 pay him, but yes, y- you know, the metaphor kind of falls apart if you spend any time at all with it. Yeah, if you spend any time at all analyzing things, it sort of falls apart, which is yep. sort of the premise of this show, as I recall. Ooh. What an excellent segue! Is it? Uh, whatever. I'm st- I'm still that's still my my weak point. You know what I'm good at though is writing summaries. Yeah, why don't you tell us about the summary you wrote? I will. The episode called Playing God, which actually sort of involves playing God. It does indeed. Which is breaking the streak of nonsensical titles lately. So, the station wel- welcomes Argent, a trill who is hoping that somebody will shove a worm into him. Apparently the symbiote program has some kind of apprenticeship aspect to it because Arjun has been assigned to Dax for a while. What she's supposed to be doing with him is never made entirely clear, but is immediately put off by her quirks. She plays Tongo with the Ferengi. She gets in wrestling matches with terrible aliens with aluminum foil in their hair. She answers the door wearing nothing but a towel. This is actually the Dax we've been talking about for a while now, the one who's completely self-assured, who's into weird shit like that, and who can finally be the focus of an episode without actively begging to die. So it's nice to see her finally showing up. Also, did I mention the wearing nothing but a towel thing? Because it's honestly very hard to focus on what else happened in the episode, having seen that. Dax and Argent go on a joyride through the wormhole and pick up what is apparently an entire universe on one of the nacelles of the runabout. 
I'm guessing Ensign Sansak's job includes squeegeeing stuff like this off when people return from their little space jaunts. Thankfully, it's a bit of a lazy universe, and its Big Bang is going to take, oh, about 47 minutes to really get going, which, coincidentally enough, is the exact running time of this episode. So we have exactly enough time to solve the problem, plus we have a science-minded guy who's looking to prove his value. What are the odds? Dax and Argent do save the day by transporting the universe into the runabout, then flinging it over the fence to let Arby's deal with it. <laughs> the fence, is, in this case, is the wormhole, and the Gamma Quadrant is Arby's. Oh, and while all this is going on, the Chief finds himself embroiled in the fight of his life against some Cardassian voles. I actually enjoyed the A and B stories of this episode, but I still feel like Miles O'Brien rat catcher in space could have been an entire episode unto itself. I completely agree. We we seriously, I think at one point, both thought that that was going to be the just the main B story. Of this I, I assumed that the entire the entirety of the B story would have, would have been a Star Trek version of the movie Mouse Hunt featuring Nathan Lane. Wow. Yeah. There's a there's a pull. Remember, remember Nathan Lane. I do remember Nathan Lane. He was briefly a thing. Yep. And I don't think he is anymore. He was briefly in the producers. I I feel like Brian is screaming at us right now, and next time he's on, he's going to give us a long list of the things that Nathan Lane is still in. (laughs) That just feels like one of those things that he would know. Brian, if you're out there, we don't care what Nathan Lane is doing. Not not really, no. Nathan Lane, if you're out there, please write us a letter. We desperately care what you're doing. Yeah, you you have exactly the right level of star power that, that we would like on this show. Yes. Not too threatening. Do you, do you like Star Trek? You might. I mean, who doesn't really? Yeah. Also, you have a tangential connection because uh, Ratcatcher. Yeah, there you go. Mouse hunt. Yeah. That's your in. Chief O'Brien is hunting these little things that look like the puppets from, um, well, I thought from Hobgoblins. You thought yep. something else. I thought from, I thought, I thought the alien from Mac and Me. Are you Paul Rudd? I might be Paul Rudd. Hang on a sec. Let me check. No, you're you're not Paul Rudd. No, I am. I'm Paul Rudd. Huh. Huh. Does, Weird. Does the, no, because then that would make me the, the big-headed guy from Parks, and I'm definitely not him. No. Uh, Adam Scott. Yes. No, I'm, I'm not that guy. Oh. Damn. That was going to be my in. Yeah. No, Paul Rudd, apparently, every time he shows up on, I think it's Conan, one of the one of the late-night shows, all he talks about is Mac and me. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. That is hilarious. It doesn't matter what he's promoting, he, he just talks about Mac and it, me. It's not that he talks about Mac and me, it's that he always says he's got a clip from whatever he's working oh, on. Oh, and it's and a then clip he, from And Mac then and they me. play Mac and me. <laughs> Mac and, and then me Conan f- goes, why did you play Mac and me again? And he goes, okay, I promise I won't do it again. And then he does it again. And then he does it again! Right. Oh, that's wacky. Yep. Mac and Me, for those of you who don't know, was a horrible knockoff of E.T. that was, like, financed by McDonald's. Yep. Hence the name Mac and Me. Yes. The Mac in this case refers to Mac-Donald's. Not, not Mac Tonight, the weird moon-headed guy. Thankfully not. No. I don't know why we're talking about Mac and Me instead of this episode. Yeah. This is a pretty good one. we had a podcast about Star Trek? <laughs> not what really. What was that about? Well, seeing as this show started as a spin-off from the other show because we couldn't stop talking about Star Trek. That's true. Feels like we need to now spin off a new show where we talk about things that aren't Star Trek. Wait, wait yep. a minute. So, but yeah, Chief O'Brien chasing rats. It, it doesn't really go anywhere. It's just kind of a one of those nice little background things, but but it's it's funny. What what I do enjoy is that it it results in people leaving Cardassian voles just lying around on the station. Yeah, Quark marches into ops and throws the thing down on the counter. Well, doesn't throw it down because he's got it wrapped up in his hanky. 
Yep. Because he doesn't want to touch it, which, hey, g- give him credit. He does serve food and drinks. Yep. I he was just... really, I really wish that he'd brought it up in like a plastic doggy bag. <laughs> I don't think those exist in the future. Oh, do do- does dog poop just clean up after itself? Well, no, but I think like plastic was bad for the environment or something. Right. I don't so now they just I... leave poop where it lays. I, Paul Rudd, would not want to live in this ideal future. You're not Paul Rudd. You don't even exactly know who he is, do you? Not really. Okay. He's I was a... hoping to see how long I could stretch that out before revealing that. <laughs> He's a comedy actor. He's been in a lot of good things, but not Star Trek. However, right. Adam Scott has been in Star Trek. Oh. He was in uh, uh, First Contact. Oh. He's the guy when the Defiance being like attacked by the Borg and Worf says, Ramming speed! He goes... Sir, it's the Enterprise. Oh, so technically he's a DS9 character. Yes. Huh. Which which is which is nice. So he's he's on the he's on DS9 somewhere. He's on the station somewhere. He's in the back. Right. Well, you should be able to see his giant Pez dispenser sized head. <laughs> or, or, uh, <laughs> That's the red thing sticking out of the bottom of DS9. <laughs> Pez dispenser proportioned head, I should <laughs> say, because it's in in relation to the rest of his body. Of course. We we have exactly one listener who's going to be upset by that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, hey, sorry, but uh, he does have a very large head. Yeah, have you seen that guy's head? It's very big. Yeah. Um, other stuff happens in this episode as well that, that is not rat catching. Are we though. sure about that? I'm, I'm pretty sure there is. We're like 20 minutes into this episode. <laughs> well, there's the, there's the whole, well, my good thing. Yes, tell me your good thing. Is well, I usually dismiss the deadly danger of the week, the stupid techno babble thing that causes the you know uh, the we got the Verderon particles that are, uh, but the concept of an entire universe being created and expanding on the station, I, I, this is really cool. Yeah, I mean, it was secondary to the to the the character stuff, to the Argent and Dax thing, but it's still treated with some importance. Kira and Odo have this cool debate. Oh God, that's great. It's, uh, Kira's like, well, fucking kill them. If, if it's us or them, then them. Yeah. And they're like, but we think there's life in there. We it's think- a universe. There could be, like, trillions of tiny beings in there. We yeah. can't just flush them down the toilet. Like, they've already they've already determined that there's at least one civilization in there, and, and being a universe, there's probably a lot more than that. Uh-huh. And she's like, so? Step on it like ants. And, you know, then Odo, I don't step on ants. I'm a good person. And it's, and, and, and you realize that's, a little weird, but then you think, no, that's in character. Odo's probably really compassionate in yeah. a way. I was a little more surprised that Kira was just willing to throw them out. Yeah, totally willing to just go to the genocide option. Yep. After all, I mean, her... look, look, Kira kills people. Let's yeah, but, not. But after all, her people have been through. You'd think maybe yeah. genocide wouldn't be at the top of her options list. It's like these are these, th- there's people here, Kira. You don't know that. You don't know that either. <laughs> But then Cisco has this great thing, and they don't dwell on this for too long. They don't, they don't like, you know, make this the focus of the episode. But Cisco's like, would we be any better than the Borg if we just mm-hmm. flushed a universe down the toilet? And it's yeah. like, that, that's pretty cool that they're actually dealing with how big a deal this is. And it's not just one of those stupid background blow it off things. They're actually kind of dealing with how big the ramifications are of it. And I, yeah. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Because usually they sort of dismiss, if it's not important to the plot, they usually treat it that way just yeah eh, who cares whatever tiny it's, universe it's nice that they th- and that also gives the other characters something to do they have this this whole moral thing to weigh while while the the uh dax and argent stuff's going on mm-hmm. and it, it's cool that they can deal with that cool sci-fi stuff and not take away from <clears throat> from the characters which i like that was enjoyable yes absolutely 
On the other hand, my bad thing. Yes. <laughs> so well, we're just, on the topic. They, they just drop the expanding universe on the other side of the wormhole. Yeah, when you say throw it over the fence and let Arby deals, Arby's deal with it, you are not kidding. No, the, the, the last act is, is Argent and Dax very carefully trying to navigate through the wormhole so they can get this thing to the other side and dump it. Yep. Like... We're t- like, the problem in this episode is that the universe keeps expanding, right? And eventually it's going to overtake our natural universe and, and sort of write itself over us. Okay, so here's the problem. You put it through the wormhole, it's still in the universe. Right. Like, it's just on the other side of the galaxy, but eventually it's going to take over there and then come back here. Yeah. I mean, listen, I would love if in season seven of uh, DS9, suddenly in like the last 15 episodes, it's like, oh, all that other crap we were doing, not important because there's a new goddamn universe that just flooded the Gamma Quadrant. Whoops. Yeah, we we totally forgot we left that there. <laughs> now, there's, it's possible. There was a lot of Technobabble in this episode. Oh, my God. This episode was like 75% Technobabble. And and I, I think it was actually carried really well. Like, I, it didn't feel tedious like it often does. It just, it felt like part of the dialogue to me, yeah. but but somewhere in all that exposition and technobabble, there might have been a better explanation than we're dumping this in the in the Gamma Quadrant, but I didn't catch it, and I've seen it twice. The problem is you need to give us the a balloon and something bad happens. Right. Explanation. It's like, wh- what is happening? Why is the Gamma Quadrant where you're going to throw this? No, I, it, they, they sort of mentioned that they left it in the wormhole, except they clearly didn't. No. And I'm not sure, I, I don't know. What they what they said was they're taking it back to where it came from, which I don't know. I like, I don't know. it feels like it's too big to go back there now. Yeah, I mean, what is and, happening? And, and when they come over, they talk about it, they compare it to be like they do the uh, the the analogy thing. They say, "Well, yeah. we got a piece of seaweed on our on our nacelle." Uh huh. But that seaweed is a universe. It's not a seaweed. You can throw you can throw a seaweed at Arby's. In yes. fact, I recommend it. Go do it right now. That's your homework for this week. Do you even have Arby's in Canada? Oh yeah. Oh okay. I've had a shitty roast beef sandwich once in a while. <laughs> and I some really sure. good curly fries. Yeah, I don't I don't dislike Arby's. It seems like that was the target of of comedy writers for like the nineties. I don't have a problem with Arby's. I like being mean to Arby's for no reason, though. I, yeah, I'm not sure, but I'm not sure why they're specifically versus, you know, McDonald's or Burger King or whatever. Like, why Arby's? Well, I mean, it's a it's a uh, it's a sandwich joint that specializes in roast beef. Yeah, that's a weird choice. I don't know. A chicken place that specializes in fried chicken is a little weird too, but you know. I suppose you're right. You've turned me all around on this whole Arby's discussion. <laughs> I'm going to go get some roast beef right now. No, we got a show to do. Hello, I'm Paul Rudd, and I'd like a free sandwich, please. <laughs> Paul Rudd here for Arby's. <laughs> Can I exchange this clip of Mac and Me for <laughs> for a beef and cheddar? <laughs> Hold the cheddar. I've seen what that cheese sauce looks like. Oh, right. You and cheese sauce. Oh, my God. It's the worst. No, it's not the worst. There's something in the next episode that you think is worse than that. I do think it's worse. Uh, things you choose to be grossed out about. I'm a complicated man. Not really. With a fear of cheese sauce. <laughs> that's not that complicated. That's that's pretty easy to figure out. Read all about it in my biography. I am Paul Rudd. <laughs> By Paul Rudd. By Paul Rudd. So, what was your good thing? Uh, Quark's got this little monologue that he has to Argent when Argent decides that he is sick of Dax... Hmm. And instead is going to go up to Quark so he gets shit-faced for, like, an entire day. Uh, it's basically about, um, 
you know, not having second chances is about how Quark used had a pretty sweet gig as an apprentice to some subnagus or whatever. And then he banged the boss's daughter. And now he works at a shitty bar. Yeah, he's, it's this great little monologue about failure. And I've, I don't think we've ever seen Quark admit to the fact. Like, we've had other characters imply that this bar isn't exactly the, the primo posting for a Ferengi. No, well, he was going to leave in the first episode. Yeah, but that's because he thought all the business was leaving. Yeah. But um, I, I, we've never, I don't think, heard him directly admit to the fact that he's kind of a failure. Yeah. It's it just like, this is a, you know... Not a great guy. I mean, yeah, the wormhole drummed up a little bit of business, but uh, it's still a crappy bar. Yeah, this isn't, uh, you know, I can't buy an entire moon like my cousin Gala. Fucking jerk. Yep. Which I think is a reference he hasn't made yet, so... No, but he will. Spoilers? He's gonna get a moon and a ship and just... Yeah. But uh, I I think whenever they talk about Quark's past, like working on other ships and whatever, they're trying to allude to the fact that Armin Shimmerman played Ferengi in previous episodes. Yeah. If you want to believe that that's Quark, we're giving you the option to think that. And I do. So you think at one point he operated a laser whip? I do. I absolutely do. And And he he crouched. And he fought the Federation for a little while. I don't think that. I don't think he would have been so, like, it just doesn't seem like his style. You know, when he was young and kind of an idiot. I see, when he was young and kind of an idiot, he banged the boss's sister. That, I believe. That, too. He's had a busy life. Well, all right. I, I just, I can't see him crouching. Yeah, no, after the, uh, you know, after that, after uh, his sweet apprenticeship fell out, he had to get a job on a, Car- or on a Cardassian, on a uh, Ferengi freighter, wielding right. a laser whip. I just, I don't buy it. Also, he was a chef for a while. Oh, that's right, he was a chef. Did he wear one of those hats? Yes. Like in the previous episode? A floating hat. Yes. I don't think they've invented floating hat technology yet. Then he told people hello there, children. <laughs> no, floating hats being you're the president. Haven't you read Doonesbury? <laughs> no. No one has read Doonesbury in over 20 years. Even, I have no idea why it continues to be printed. Even Gary Trudeau. No. Former Prime Minister of Gary Canada. Gary Trudeau got lost in his characters one day. Well, first he ran Canada for a while. Yes. And then he started drawing Doonesbury. Pierre Trudeau. Yes. And then and then he drew, you know, the president as a hat. Yes. And then he drew a giant cigarette. Did he do that? Yes, he did. I don't That's remember. the only character from Doonesbury that I remember. I don't even remember the character Doonesbury. No, nobody does. No. That's one of those things. We're we're wow, we're we're really tangenting today, Paul yep. Rudd. I don't know how that keeps happening. Uh, what was your bad thing? Uh, so, uh, Argent kind of sucks, doesn't he? Like, yeah, this, I, is, this is the main part of the episode we haven't talked about at all yet. Yeah, that's because he doesn't matter. Not really, no. So this dude, basically, this dude's got a, uh, got a, uh, job shadowing or whatever with Dax. I'm not really clear on what that entails, because he's only there for a couple of weeks. The, Dax explains it at one point as he is, or... He, she's supposed to to show him what it's like to be a joint trill. Okay, which but I she's guess got such, she's got such a highly specialized job that that doesn't really seem fair. It seems like a weird choice to pick her since she's off planet. Like, right. you think that they would go for like you know a tr- like a joint trill who is working on, I assume the planet's named Trill. I think that it is. But I, I, the only thing I can figure is that they sent this guy to her because Curzon used to be this huge, like, uh, uh, what do you Dick. call it? Like, well, yes. 
But he was also like this huge re- like uh, review guy for, tr- for potential trills. Right. So like, but like it doesn't like this is her first. Uh, this is her first guy. And most of the episode is just about her not sort of knowing what to do with him, except that she doesn't want to do what Curzon did, which was be a prick. Well, she tells the story about how she shadowed Curzon. Curzon thought she was weak and said, I do not recommend her for joining. Yeah. And then later she got approved anyway and requested the Dax symbiont just to be a dick to him. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, because he's got a weird dark sense of humor. And I, li- I like that. Yeah. And I like... I like, see, I feel like Argent was sort of incidental to the story. Like, yeah, I guess he's got an arc here or whatever, but it's really more about Dax coming to terms with her whole hatred of this person that still lives in her head. Yeah, it's basically, he's basically there so that she can start thinking about all this stuff, because otherwise she wouldn't. Right. I guess. And we've said this a bunch of times before, but really, this is is the first full episode that we get about Dax that's really about Dax, where we have Dax the way we know and love her. Mm Mm-hmm. She's doing stuff. She's like, well, it's you know, like I said in my summary. We're starting to see how weird she is. Like yeah. she's into really unconventional things, and she's got a different guy stay in the night at her place every night. I just I love the idea of someone who's lived seven lifetimes, so their their entire life is just about getting out there and seeing stuff. You yep. know, that's part of why uh, that's part of why it's so cool that she's a science officer. Right. She's she's all about adventure and and experiences and. We're really starting to get a better feel for that than we have before. This is the first episode about her where she's not hanging out in the background waiting to die. Yeah, or asking to die, which is even worse. Yeah. And um, I I pointed this out early in the episode. It is, I think, like the third one about her that's also about her people. But the more Mm. I think about that, a lot of the Spock episodes were about Vulcans and a lot of the Worf episodes were about Klingons. I think that's just a, a thing they do. That's true, but those characters were also more established yeah. You know. That's a good point. In their respective series than Dax has been up to this point. But this is this is the real Dax, and seeing her sort of intimidate someone helps define the way I see her. Yeah. Because she could be intimidating to someone, especially if he's sort of a weak, wimpy little wuss. Which this guy is. He absolutely he, is. He, he hangs around in a uh, wee-willy-winky nightshirt. <laughs> the only thing he's missing is a candle and a stocking cap. Right. Um... He doesn't really have any he's only he only wants to be a joint trill because his father demanded it. Yep. Which is Which, always a good motivation to do something because yeah, you know. Yeah. That's a re- that's a good reason to uh drastically change your life. Yep. Cuz your dad would get your dead father will get mad at you. I, the nice thing is we've already dealt with a stronger character having having to deal with that I think last week or 2 weeks ago. Which was Jake saying, I'm not joining Starfleet just because you want me to. And yeah. Like, that's how a strong character does it. He, you know, he's still a young child whose life hasn't been ruined yet. And he tells his father, no. Yeah. No, this kid's just like, uh, I mean, by the end of the episode, he's still like, I guess I still want to trill. I don't know. Now I want to join Starfleet, I guess. I, I don't know what I want to do. I'm a really good pilot. Tell me what I should do. Yeah, and I I also wasn't <laughs> you clear. You figure it out. I also wasn't clear if Dax actually approved him or not. No. I don't think they actually said that. No. I'd they like to it... think that she didn't. Yeah, I would hope so cuz he's don't put a tr- or don't put a uh don't put a uh, symbiote in there. No. I I but again, so I... he can stay home on Thursday nights and like cry into his beer. <laughs> On Thursday nights to watch whatever the must-see TV lineup is in the 24th century? Yeah, it's Paul Rudd. <laughs> it's Parks and Rec featuring me, Paul Rudd. He's not even on that show. I don't know. He's he's not. He's in movies mostly. No. Oh. He's going to be in the Ant-Man movie. 
Oh, that's right. He's Ant-Man. He's going to be Ant-May. Yes, he's going to be Ant-May. <laughs> you should see his uh, his recipe for wheat cakes. Oh, I have. It's because I'm Paul Rudd. Well, of course you are. Who you don't even know who he is. <laughs> I have a vague idea now. <laughs> um, But yeah, like I say, I, I feel like Arjun is just sort of a catalyst to, to get inside Dax's head and to have yeah. her deal with the whole... She was intimidated by Curzon and she won't be anymore thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that. I could have done without her deciding not to be like Curzon anymore by saying at the end of the episode, I'm not Curzon. Yeah, that was the last like last line of the episode. I just I wanted to see some dude walking past her and go, excuse me? <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just talking to the audience. Right. No, that was that was Maybe a little on the nose. Mourn on his way to Quarks. Sorry. <laughs> but then he wouldn't shut up. No. Yeah. Dax be like, oh god, this is my day now. Yeah, I I thought I uh, thought I could get away from it, but I can't. Nope. And uh, and of course I mentioned this in my summary, but I got to mention it again. Dax in a towel. Yeah. Just uh, Dax in a towel. Yep. That was nice. Yep. And Argent <sighs> had maybe been a little more enterprising. He could have said something like, uh, "Can I borrow your towel for a sec? My car just hit a water buffalo." <laughs> but no, he was too much of a turd. He was. Also, he looked like Jason Siegel. <laughs> I could see that. He's got a, like, to the point where I actually had to check and make sure he wasn't played by a very young Jason Siegel. Oh, 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 I thought you meant Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Oh, no. Like, what? wait, what? No, Jason's, okay, the guy from the Muppet movie. Yeah, the Muppet guy. Right. Yeah, I guess I could see that. It's got, like, he really looks like him. Would that be a bad thing? No, I thought I, it would have been cool if it was him. It yeah. wouldn't have worked, because this is like 1993. Yeah, it's but I mean, it's nice to see, you know, actors that we know will go on to other things. Yeah. Sometimes. When we but, saw Mike from Breaking Bad in that terrible episode, it's like, oh, we know you can do better. Aw, come on, Mike. Yeah. He's he's on Community now, and he's fantastic. Yes. Um, what else? So, this episode also features the return of my favorite Star Trek character ever. Ah, uh, yes, of course. The uh, morbidly obese Klingon chef. And unfortunately, according to Memory Alpha, this is the last time you'll see him. <sighs> yeah. He had a good run of two episodes. <laughs> but what a way to go out, man. But this was this is a very quintessentially thing we like about Dax. He starts singing the song, and she jumps up and, like, joins him in the last verse. Yep. That is so the way I think of Dax. Yeah. Like, just, she, she just she's into Klingon stuff. She whatever, this she sounds awesome. It. Let's rock. Yep. Well, she they, they mentioned she collects uh, forgotten composers, mm-hmm. and apparently this was a Klingon song that he didn't know that she brought to him. Yep. Which I thought was kind of cool. So awesome. In fact, that that is even my note at that point in the episode. Oh, good, it's Matt's favorite guy again. Yep. And he brought an accordion this time. It wasn't even like a weird space accordion. It was just like he could have played a Weird Al song. No, no, it was a Klingon accordion. It had little spikes on it. Did it? It did! Oh, God. It had little spikes. It was amazing! I missed the little spikes. <laughs> I feel like the accordion is maybe the least badass instrument that there is. That's why you put spikes on it, so you can feel good about yourself. No, I still... It's a warrior's <laughs> instrument! <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess along the same logic that prune juice is a warrior's drink. <laughs> now I'm just trying to picture the Klingon Weird Al. Doing polka medleys... Well, the hair would be the same. Yeah, and the mustache. <laughs> like, he'd be 80s Weird Al. <gasps> Not modern Weird Al, but, but 80s Weird Al with the big afro and the and the mustache and the glasses. <laughs> God damn it. That would be fantastic. 
doing, you know, clever music videos, occasionally taking over Klingon MTV with his pirate broadcast uh, yep. thing. Doing the Klingon version of UHF. Yep. That that also was a box office bomb, but a but a cult classic. Yep. It's the same. You you've never experienced UHF until you've watched it in the original. <laughs> There was uh, there there was a great scene going back to the rat catcher thing. Yes, there's <laughs> a great scene. Speaking of musical instruments, actually, where Julian sends up a, a flute. Oh yeah, to uh, to to uh, Chief O'Brien with a little note that says it, it worked in Hamlin. <laughs> Which, first of all, is an extremely Julian thing to do. It is. It, it's so dorky. And secondly, you know for you know O'Brien kept that flute probably. Like if you go to his quarters, that's sitting on a shelf somewhere in the box. But no. he'll never throw it away. Keiko won't let him keep it, like, out. No, of course it's, not. It's in the crawl space or something. Flutes aren't Japanese. No, well, they can be. This type of flute definitely isn't. No. There's no Hamlin in Japan. Not that I know of, no. No. There must be some Japanese folk myth about, about rats, though. It's about dragging children under the sea. Probably. Aren't they all about that, really? Yeah. I, mm. As far as I can tell, all fairy tales are about that. Hmm. Yeah, that seems about right. Dragging children under the sea. Yep. And really, for some reason, all the Disney adaptations of fairy tales, only one of them has been about a child under the sea. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast. How ironic. Is it? No. Not yeah. even a little bit. All right. Ooh, and we get the acknowledgement that that uh, Jake is in love with the Dabo girl. Oh, yeah. We get the great, uh, we get some great dad stuff from uh, Cisco in this well, we one, always, actually. Like, I, I have yet to be disappointed by any scene between those two. Yeah. Those are always good for some fun little chemistry. It's kind of like the Quark Odo scenes where they're just always good. Yep. And Jake uh, admits that he, like, his dad tricks him. Yeah. He's well, like, he comes in and he's, he's like, hey, Jake, how's it going? And Jake's like, oh, Chief O'Brien Brian promised he wouldn't tell you. Oh, he did, maybe. Yeah, he 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 totally tricks him into telling yep. him without actually betraying any confidences or anything. Dad, I'm seeing a Davo girl. What? Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know this exactly, but from what we've seen of Davo girls, it feels like being 15 and telling your dad you're dating a stripper. Yep. Like, that seems like, wh wait, whoa, what? What? <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, that's my boy, but on the other hand, you're going to get space VD. Yeah. Well, we know that she's. We know that he's tutoring her because that's come up in like another episode, right? And it makes me wonder if he's like if if it's just a one way thing if he's in love with her and she's just being tutored, or if yeah. or if she's into him as well. See, I'd believe that. Just like oh, she loves me. No, she acknowledges you. That's the thing. He's fifteen. He might, yeah. you know, he might have that very juvenile way of looking at it, which yep. is, you know, well, she's obviously into me, or she wouldn't spend so much time with me. Yeah. Why would she be texting me so much? Yeah. For homework answers? No. Nah. No. What don't are you, be crazy. No. It's love. Yeah. Obviously. Dad, you don't know anything about love. <laughs> well, I fell in love with a dead woman's projected... Oh, you're right. Oh. Oh. I just made myself sad. And you helped. <laughs> you don't know anything about love because your wife is dead. <laughs> you're so in love. How come your wife's dead? Yeah. <laughs> Why couldn't you save her? Ooh. Wow, that's some. Wow, that's pretty harsh, kid. Especially considering that's your mom. Oh, it is. Oh. Oh. And then they have a night in where they're sad together. Yep. And watch home movies. <laughs> the show home. The movies? show, not uh, actual home movies. Right. That that uh, Coach McGurk really cheers them up. <laughs> the squiggle vision gives me a headache, but the show is a delight. 
Um, so that's that's pretty much all I had. Oh, and I was glad that there was no sexual tension between Dax and Arjun. Like, I'm glad he wasn't into her. Yeah. On top of everything else, because that just would have added a whole layer of dumb. Yeah, th- th- this episode already had enough going on. Well, and and basically every character he talks to about Dax says, you know, <laughs> she's a heartbreaker. Yep. So it's nice that he just gets to hear that, but he's not really interested in her. Yeah, I like Quark's... Uh... Oh yeah, the, the the promenade is littered with the bodies of people who have uh, who have tried to get with Dax. Yeah, but then your your Klingon guy also says, you know, uh, don't get any ideas. She's mine. Ah, <laughs> oh. which is fantastic. Well, clearly here he didn't get her because he left. Well, right. Well, maybe that's why he left. Ah, maybe so they were sad. only a thing briefly, and and she broke his heart, and and he just had to go. Ah, poor guy. Or you know, maybe he got a promotion. Maybe he's like. In charge of some, like, the Klingon Chili's franchise now they or something. They Chief Chef. Yes, Chief Chef. That's tough. <laughs> He's like, he runs a, he runs the Klingon Applebee's, uh... Yes. ...franchise now. The entire franchise in this dri- district, though. Right. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. But he, you know, it's not, it's not like when he had that small business back on DS9. No, that was... You know, I mean, you know, the money's truly better. happy then. You know, but, uh... Right. There's no challenge anymore. It's something to be said about making your own food with your own filthy, filthy hands. <laughs> oh, and his stained outfit. Like, <laughs> gross, like, ah. Now, which of those stains were food and which of them were from him? Yeah, I... I dare not contemplate. <laughs> I don't know enough about Klingon anatomy to really, uh accurately I, answer that anyway. I don't anyway. want to know enough about Klingon anatomy to know. No, although although we did look well, we'll get to this in a minute when we get to my bad thing for the other episode, but we yeah. we have looked up things about uh, prominent Trek races and their anatomy. We surely did. Because we have to know these things. We, we have to ask those hard-hitting questions. Yes, because if we don't do it, who will? Right. Well, lots of people. Yes, lots of other people, but they don't have this podcast. That's true. And they're not Paul Rudd. <laughs> Neither are you. It's not true. All right, spell Paul Rudd. P A L U L. Uh huh. Rudd. Paul. Yes. Okay. He just spells it with one. I just spell it one letter. The letter Rudd. Oh well. All right, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, why don't you then tell me about the following episode, the one that is not the one we just talked about. All right. Which is not called Profit and Lace, thankfully. Oh. But Profit and Loss. That's a nightmare for another day. Yes, it is. So, a busted-ass Cardassian ship arrives at DS9, and Quark is delighted when the owner is his former girlfriend, Natima, who is still pretty upset that she uh, was betrayed by him all those years ago. Oh, those Ferengis, always betraying their loved ones. Anyway, while Chief O'Brien is repairing their ship for some reason, Natima and her students are exploring the station. And then they lock eyes with Garrick across the room during one of his dates with Julian, and trouble starts a brewing. See, uh, it turns out that uh, what Natima actually is is a member of the Cardassian Underground. You can tell because she teaches political ethics. Oh, and her friends are terrorists, but that's not that rare on DS9. So it was one of our main characters. So while all this is going on, Quark is attempting to rekindle his relationship with Natima. And he almost gets in there, too. In addition to, in addition to giving Natima's students a cloaking device to help them flee the station... When Odo arrives and arrests her. Now, in his defense, he feels really, really bad about it. But, uh, see, a Cardassian warship just arrived to take Natima and company into cu- into custody. And the uh, Bajoran government's pretty much entirely okay with that. Because, you know, what the fuck are they, do, do they care? 
Luckily, Odo is, like, the best dude ever, and he and Quark break them out of jail. And at the shuttle, Garrick is waiting for them with a phaser, ready to kill them all for Cardassia, when some asshole Gull arrives to beat Garrick to the punch, and then Garrick ends up killing him instead and letting them go. Garrick is a mysterious enigma, but he does believe in true love, apparently. Anyway, so Nintima escapes, vowing to return when there is peace in Cardassia, and Quark offers to tell Garrick some roofies to give to Dr. Bashir. <laughs> the end. Do you think Quark has access to roofies? Oh, I'm sure uh, Quark who, has who access to roofies. Who am I kidding? Of course he roofies. does. Really? I who do you think's in those bottles behind the bar? I don't know. Drinks? Nah. Oh, all right. Space roofies. Yeah. Spoofies? Yes, yeah, spoofies. They're called the black hole. No, that's what Dax drinks. Okay, they're called in, uh, let's see, a spaceship. She she drinks a black hole for breakfast, which, yep. I mean, okay, first of all, it's a terrible, like, okay, we're in space, it's a black hole. <laughs> but beyond that, doesn't that sound like it should be some kind of hard liquor? Yes. Not coffee? Like, maybe some kind of giggly girl drink, but still, like, it's got booze in it. Yeah. Not, not your first thing in the morning. Maybe Dax has a real problem that we're not aware of. Could be. Just, just need one to start the day. And, you know, because because it's the worm that's the, the alcoholic and not, you know, the host, she can so, get by. So where does she stand on drinking tequila? Ooh. Yeah. That, that's a good one. I don't know. Maybe she just, like, swallows the worm and gives the other one some company? <clears throat> now, the, now that worm's inside of the, the, the bigger worm, which yep. is inside of her. It's worms all the way down. It's Russian nesting worms. Yep. Which, <laughs> which sounds horrible. Yes, it does. Ah. Oh. Especially when you imagine them talking with the voice of Chekhov. Ah, what have I done? I don't know. What you always do. <laughs> Turn a harmless reference into something terrible. I do always do that. Yep. This this very easily could be my favorite episode so far. Yeah. This like is I, a this is just great. I had to think about it for a little while, but the, I like I had a really hard time finding a bad thing. I had a, mm -hmm. like I was just so engrossed in this and the weird thing is this is one of those that they apologize for yeah we uh we went to the this was the case of us just going to memory alpha to get some more info because yeah, like, i try to get into the habit of doing that to get some yeah. background for the show just you know so we got stuff to talk about yeah but um apparently they everyone was apologizing for this episode for how poorly written it is yeah they, they thought quark was too strong and heroic like they they thought that he should be like of all the strong heroic characters on the show he shouldn't be one of them yeah and I feel like there are circumstances where he could be that, where it would come out, and, you know, the love of his life showing up and being in danger would be one of them. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And I mean, like, the, the thing is, he's completely head over heels in love for the entire episode. Yeah. But he never stops being Quark. No, he is totally willing and, you know, more than willing to, to sell out the, the two students, the, uh, the the actual revolutionaries. Yeah. With Natima, like, to, to get her. If it means she can stay with him. In fact, she he actually tries to buy her from them at one yeah. point. And he doesn't once ask if she wants to stay. He just... Uh, assumes. Either assumes or doesn't care. Yeah. He's still, in a way, being very selfish and thinking of her more like property than like a person. Yeah. Which is gross, but it's also very uh, Ferengi. It's very Ferengi, but it's... it's He's acting less disgusting than a typical Ferengi. Yes. Like, he's still more nuanced and more, you know... Well, I, basically my good thing, mm. seeing Quark in a love story, an actual love story where we're expected to take his feelings seriously and not just some stupid comic relief thing is fucking fantastic. Yeah. The the combination of writing and acting makes it entirely believable for Quark to be going through all this stuff and it, it doesn't 
contradict him or weaken him. Like, he's still sleazy. He's still, like you said, Quark. He's been one of our favorites since pretty much the pilot, and he could probably just coast on what they built for him already, but they're they're giving him more depth. They're 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 fleshing out the character, and I love that. Mm-hmm. And Armin Shimmerman walks this really fine line because it would be so easy to fumble this, to to turn him like either make him too sleazy or too love stricken, but he's yeah. perfect blend. Yeah, th- like it would be really, really easy to just accidentally send that like make that character just irredeemably gross. Yep. Or yeah. To make him so soft yeah. that you can't see him as a serious, sleazy business guy for the rest of the series because he was so soft this one time. Yeah. Now, the worst thing this show could do would be when you got to, like, the sixth or seventh season, he's in a uh, he's in a Starfleet uniform. Right. No, he'll, he'll like, never do that. No. Um, I, I think Armin Shimmerman, like, he, he really deserves a lot of credit for this episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's great at carrying the comedy. He's great at carrying that sort of edge that other Star Trek shows haven't had. Mm. But there's a lot going on here. And he carries it all perfectly without, you know, without turning it into a joke or without making it inconsistent with the character. Like, he's he's so yeah. good. So that's the thing. You can have your comic, like a comic relief character that's still a character, you know? Like, you don't just get lost in the, oh, he did a pratfall and he's doing something sleazy and... Well, that's the problem with most TV is mm-hmm. when you define a character as comic relief, that's usually all that they ever are. Yeah. And it's nice that we get an episode where we're meant to take him seriously and we do. Yeah. And, and we I mean, feel bad for him. Like, there's some, you know, there's some funny moments in this episode. Like, There's definitely funny moments. But it's, you know, it's on the whole, like, dramatic and it's a pretty dramatic character piece. Yeah. And it's it's a lot of sleazy, like, underhanded double talk. Like, it, it's... It, it comes down to Quark versus Garrick. Yeah. Which I love. because Oh, these God, are, that was such a great scene. That scene, but also pretty much from that point forward, it's both of them maneuvering to try to, like, outsmart the other guy. Yeah. Which I love. Which mm. these, are, these are the two most sort of scheming, manipulative guys we have on the show. Yeah. It's nice to, to pit them against each other. And they're very different. Which I yes. like. Like, they're, it's not like you got two evenly matched guys. They have very different skill sets. Mm-hmm. And a I, very specific set of skills, right? Which I which I quite like. Um, there's a there's a huge Casablanca vibe here. Like apparently the first draft was just Casablanca with the names crossed out, mm-hmm. and they fixed it a little. You you actually haven't seen Casablanca, have you? No, I still haven't actually. It's it's like you've probably absorbed enough of it through pop culture osmosis that you get the the general beats of it, though. Yeah, I saw Overdrawn in the Memory Bank. I know how it works. <laughs> Well, essentially, it's this guy who runs a bar in a very sleazy place. That, Casablanca. That, which is almost, like, overrun by an occupying army. Mm-hmm. Uh, his old girlfriend comes back, and she needs help getting away. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's basically this story. And, you know, the whole thing is, at the end, he's got to let her go. And so it's, it's, you know, it's very, very similar. And I've seen the similarities between Quark and Bogart's character before, but never quite so, you know, obviously portrayed. And, and I think it's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. And I think for the, the fact that you haven't seen it and you still think this is a good story, like, it, you, you don't need that frame of reference for it necessarily. No. But, I mean, if I had seen it. Well, yeah, in this case, you just got me watching it going, man, it's a lot like Overdrawn the Memory Bank. Oh, it's nothing like Overdrawn at the Memory Bank. Should have gotten Raul Julia for it. I think he was still alive. <laughs> yes, he would have been at this point. But he would have been at the height of, like, the uh, Adams Family movies. He would have been too big for TV, probably. Ah. God, can you imagine a time when Raul Julia was too big for TV? Yes. 
It's amazing. That that's why it was so like sad and undignified that his last movie was fucking was it Street, Street Fighter? Fighter? Yeah. I was confused that in Mortal Kombat. No, no, he in his defense he was fantastic in in Street Fighter. Yeah, but come on. No, he was fantastic. It's a terrible movie. He was an amazing villain. Okay. But I mean, that dude was, was yeah. having so much fun in that role. Yeah, but that's like saying that um, that Uma Thurman was good in Batman and Robin. No. Well, she was. I mean, yeah, she was fine. But you know, it was a terrible, but Uma Thurman in Batman and Robin is not as good as Raul Julia in Street Fighter. Well, if you say so. I do. Incidentally, yes, I have seen Street Fighter, but I haven't seen Casablanca. Yeah. Casablanca, it's one of those things, is, is like The Wizard of Oz or Gone with the Wind, where you, you kind of like, it's in pop culture and you, you probably know it, and if you haven't seen it, eh, at this point, eh. Eh. Citizen Kane would be another one. I'll wait for the remake. Oh. They did the remake, it was called Barbed Wire. Oh, that's right. It had uh, uh, Pamela Anderson. Luckily, I also haven't seen Barbed Wire. Oh, good. The, uh, the the Mystery Science Theater guys made fun of uh, Barbed Wire a lot because the, the studio that produced their movie also produced that, and they came out at the same time, and they promoted <laughs> Barbed Wire way more than the MST movie. <laughs> and so they really hated it. It's understandable. Yep. Now they should do a riff tracks of it. I, they may have done. Hmm. I don't remember. But uh, anyway, it's almost nothing. Like, there's no doppling. Nope. Nobody says, Mom, my nuts. <laughs> Unfortunately. There's no fat guy wheezing and farting all over the place. Like, there's very little like over. No, he was in the last episode. He was in the last episode. <laughs> um, anyway. Anyway. But yeah, it's it's got those similarities, but it's, you know, sort of like in a generic way. In mm -hmm. a, a sleazy guy's girlfriend comes back and he has to let her go. Like, it's not... You know, Casablanca doesn't own those basic story beats. No. but It uh, tried, but... Uh, yeah. That, but it, it also tried know. to own Candy Saga. Right. <laughs> thankfully, uh, thankfully they that, that fell apart. Yes. Which is good. But it was it was a fantastic story. Like I said, it's, it's probably my favorite episode so far. Yeah, easily. Because it's entirely character-driven. Mm -hmm. There's no deadly danger, really. Like, I mean, there's the no, natural... No, it's, ju it's uh, just trying to get these people off the station safely. Right. The, just the natural, like, conflict of these characters being in danger. Yeah. Without having to, like, also, you know, bring in some, you know, Tetreon fields or whatever the fuck. Well, no, it's all about, uh, this is all about Cardassian politics again, which right. are usually pretty awesome. Yep. And we finally get a bit of, not exactly backstory, but a little more explanation into what Garrick's whole deal is. Yep. We find out that he's he's been exiled to the station, and he would very much like to go home, but he can't. Mm -hmm. And we find out that he's got some kind of connections, and he's got a history that involves using weapons. Well, he's got a, you know, he's the one that tips off the Card uh, the Cardassian government that they're that these guys are on the station. Well, yeah, he thinks selling them that information will get you know get him home. Mm -hmm. Like, I like that we never really get into Garrick's politics. Like, he doesn't necessarily think these guys are dangerous to Cardassia. He just he sees an opportunity. Yeah. And and we realize that he's sort of amoral, that it's not really about what's doing what's right. It's doing what can help him. Yeah. Which I like. Which is why he ends up saving them at the end, because it's like, well... Because that helps him, too. Yeah. Well, the, the gull dude says, yeah, you were. this wasn't going to get you home. Are you crazy? This isn't yeah. enough. It's like, oh, oh well, fuck you're you right. Then. Well, then... Yep. 
Now you're nothing. Just just vaporizes a guy and nobody, like, it seems like the station would have some kind of security that maybe would alert you to that. I had a theory that uh, since Odo helped with the jailbreak, he might have turned them off. Yeah, maybe. It's the... I also don't expect him to be thinking that there's going to be gunplay, though, is the problem. Right. I, I That's what I'm saying. Like, I, when we get to the, the jailbreak scene, there's no real, like... There's no, like, there's no indication that what's going to happen next is going to involve gunplay. They're supposed to run to yeah. their ship and leave. Well, the thing is, it's a, it's it's only a jailbreak in that they are not in jail anymore. Like, right. Odo lets them out. He yeah, the jailer send... lets them out. That's not a jailbreak. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, Bajoran guards looking for them or anything. They just right. leave. Yep. Or they try to leave. Yeah. No, I guess they do leave. But, uh, your, your good thing was basically that whole thing, right? Oh, yeah. You want to talk about great, uh, Quark and Odo are best friends forever episodes? Oh, yeah. So, we get when uh, when Odo comes and, arre- and arrests, uh, what the fuck's her name? Natima. Natima at uh, Quark's quarters. He First of all, he feels really bad about it. He does. Actually, backing up a little bit, when she first shows up and Quark runs to her like, Oh, you're here, honey, I missed you. And she smacks him. Mm-hmm. Odo's first reaction isn't, you know, ha ha ha, you got slapped. It's like, are you all right? Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's that there vibe running through the whole episode that Odo's concerned for yeah. Quark. It's like, wow, for once, he's not like, this isn't about money or himself or anything. Like, yeah, there's he actually some kinda, has a feeling. There's some kind of almost selfless thing going on here. Not yeah. quite. So then Quark comes to his office. Basically, Odo had been clearly been planning to let these people go anyway. Yeah, it's like he wanted to see how much Quark would beg first. Yeah, it's just like, look, <clears throat> I will let them go, but you better ask me. Yeah. And it better be good. Yeah. And, and you know, a large portion of this episode, there's there's two or three different scenes. Mm-hmm. I think there's one with Odo and two with Natima, where it's long, expo- not really exposition, but long speeches from Quark trying to convince someone of something. Yeah. And he's so good at that. Like, Armin Shimmerman is so good at carrying, you know, I'm the only one talking for five minutes. Here's mm-hmm. my argument trying to convince you of something. Yeah. That could be boring and terrible, but he he really sells it. Well, he did it in the last episode, too. It was my good thing last episode. Oh, that's that's a good point. Yeah. But that's there, that's him as the, the, the bartender who's listening. This is listening, him as you know. the cork. Right. This is him as him, rather than just being the bartender who listens yeah. to people's problems. I'm listening to you. Uh-huh. I'm listening to you all the time. <laughs> But, um, I should no, put it's... Chief O'Brien and Dr. Bashir into another racquetball match. I bet I could get some cash out of that. <laughs> people would come from miles around. I wonder if people still care about racquetball. It's been, you know, weeks, but uh, somebody must. Or spring ball. Yeah. That's, that's it. I could have Kira play against that guy. <clears throat> um, But no, you're right. This is there. There is some fantastic, like particularly fantastic Odo Quark stuff in this one. Yeah. Which is, which is just great. Yeah. It's also my quote. Ah, well, let's hear that now. Wanting me to free Natima and those students is strictly a financial consideration on your part. Now, Odo, don't allow my greed to keep you from doing the right thing. Uh, I know you better than you think, Quark. This isn't about Cardassia, and for once it's not even about profit. This is about Professor Lang. You're right. It is. Her life is in jeopardy as long as Raquelin and Hogue are on the station. Then why didn't you tell me that before? What was I supposed to say? That I love her? That I would do anything for her? That without her, my life would be meaningless? 
Sure, I could say those things, but what good would it do? How could I expect you to understand? You've never had those feelings. You don't know what it means to really care about another person. You've never been in love. You've got all the emotions of a stone. Ah. I realized I, I didn't uh, play my quote from the previous episode. We've been, uh, we've been, uh, lax on that lately. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, when I'm in the middle of editing, I'm like, here's the quote, where's the quote? Oh, we never set it up. Well, oh well. Let's just shove that in here, too. Uh, yeah, this is, the, you don't really need much context. It doesn't have much to do with the previous story anyway. This is just Quark saying something to Dax. So here's that. It's the ears. Every time he goes to a choir, he scratches behind his left ear like this. Don't play with my ears unless you're serious about it. <laughs> Which I found delightful. I hope you put in a quote from Mac and me. <laughs> no, you're not Paul Rudd. I'm Paul Rudd. You're never going to be Paul Rudd. <laughs> Don't even know who that is. Um, of course I do. It's me. So what's your bad thing? Uh, so there's a scene right before my good thing scene. There's a scene where uh, Natima and Quark are discussing the their first date, which was apparently a romantic picnic in Quark's uh, first holosuite. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how he drizzled honey on her. That's gross. Like I say, the things you choose to be grossed on, out by. On her face. Yeah. What? That's a, you know. And bugs got caught in it. No, he butterfly. says that. A butterfly. A butterfly is a bug, Al. That's not the same as like a, a bee or a fly. It's exactly, it's a little insect. No, it's a butterfly. They're cute. Ugh. Suppose you'd be fine with it if it had been a ladybug, too. Yeah? Right up until the point where they shoot their yellow pus out of their dots. What? Ladybugs totally do that. It's a defense thing. I... I it's just... It was meant to be like a romantic thing. I, why would you think that's gross? It's gross and sticky. Yeah, that's why you lick it off. Ah! <laughs> Horrible! Is it because he's a Ferengi? Is that it? No! Because he's licking honey off her face. That's a thing. Ugh, That's okay. nasty. It's not. It's not nasty. It's gross. No. Besides, maybe it's like Cardassian, you know, like uh, honey something. Like, you know, it's alien honey, which means it's different. Ugh. With alien bugs stuck in it. <laughs> and alien flitter birds flying around trying to peck her face off. That's not. Wow. Get the honey. The face, honey. You were you were you were revealing so much about yourself. So it's so awful. Uh huh. What if it had been Arby's cheese sauce? Ugh. That's even worse, and it would have scalded her face. Yeah. All right. I, Paul Rudd, am disgusted. You're you're not Paul Rudd. <laughs> I bet Paul Rudd would be fine with a little honey on his girlfriend's face. Yeah. I bet he would be. He'd be disgusted. No, I don't think so. And rightly so. I don't think so. Um, I I like that that they have a history together. I like that because my problem with love stories, I've said this over and over and over again, is in a you know forty seven minute episode that two, we are expected to believe that two people fall in love in forty seven minutes. Yeah. So it's nice that these two sort of had the existing relationship to begin with, but also that we get a sort of a look into what Quark was up to. Like uh, she predates Odo. Mm -hmm. which I didn't realize Quark was there quite so long. Yeah, he's been there a while. And that he was selling food to the Bajorans, which apparently could have gotten him killed. Yeah. 
And I like that that's, that's his act of generosity, selling food. That, that's a great delivery. And they both treat it like it's not even, like... No, like it's a noble thing that he yeah. did. Yeah. You sold food to the Bajorans. I sure did. You're such a hero. I am a hero. With your food selling. Yep. So On the was... cheap? No, that's not going nuts here. <laughs> There's profit to be made. Of course. But I like... loss. It's like we said. There's... there's uh, Quark being nicer than the average Ferengi, but still being Quark. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Which is nice. And and we get Kira, I think it was in the previous episode, just anytime she interacts with Quark, she just like wants to rip off his head. Yeah, she really doesn't like him. And I'm not sure why. I mean, she, he sold food to you, right? Yeah. That has to be worth something. I wonder if she knows that. I don't know. Although I feel like if, like, he would have told her, so. Yeah, you would think. To, like, that score. Seems, that also seems like a Quark thing to do. Score points with her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he does like strong women, which, you know, Natima definitely fits the category of the type of women we've seen Quark go after. That is true. You know, now she's she's helping lead a revolution. Mm-hmm. That's, he's definitely got a type. Very unique Ferengi. Apparently, uh, the, the two actors, when they when they kissed, like, all their kissing scenes, like, their makeup would smear off on each other. Well, yes, they're both covered in makeup. Right. Which, I mean, I like... I like that we're to the point in a Star Trek show now where two people made up to look like ridiculous aliens are just in a love story and it's no big deal. And they're two different races. Yep. Neither like of which that. are human. Right. I mean, we've we've come a, a fairly long way from, you know, oh my god, Kirk is kissing Uhura. Mm-hmm. To now, you know, the jug-eared pumpkin guy is kissing the lizard lady. Yep. You know, which is, which is cool. It's lizardy. Yep. And that was... I couldn't think of a bad thing because seriously, like I said, this is maybe my really favorite episode so far. Episode. My, yeah, my my bad thing was well, these the Cardassians are supposed to be lizard guys, right? And Natima's wearing a dress that reveals cleavage. A lot so, of cleavage. A, a lot of cleavage. So uh, the lizard people got breasts, huh? And and that forced us to think. Well, are they mammals? Do they or do they lay eggs? I assumed they. I assumed that they laid eggs. That they're, well, they're lizard uh, people. Yeah, yeah, they're lizard people. I think the Gorn lay eggs. Yes, so. they do. They have clutches. Right. The Gorn egg clutch. In fact, I think that was a huge part of the crappy uh, Star Trek video game. Uh, oh, yeah. Which which was especially weird because then in Into Darkness, uh, Bones mentioned something about a pregnant Gorn. Yeah. It's like, they, well, no, they lay eggs. Come on. <laughs> well, actually. Excuse me. We haven't done that in a while. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it wouldn't have bothered me as much if the the game, which had just come out, which was mm. supposed to immediately precede the movie story-wise, yep. and there's only been now three stories with these people, hadn't contradicted it. It's not like, mm-hmm. you know, you forgot something from a thousand years ago. No. Would have been nice. Yeah, but whatever. But no, apparently uh, apparently the Cardassians are mammals. So, yeah, uh, so they're mammals with uh, reptilian features. Yeah. So, and I typed in, do Cardassians, into Google, and the first entry was, do Cardassians lay eggs? Yep. So we're not the first people to ask that question. Nope. Which came first, the Cardassian or the Cardassian egg? <laughs> egg. <laughs> we finish each other's egg sandwiches. <laughs> Dude, you can have it. Egg sandwiches are disgusting. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll agree with you there. I don't agree with all your all your uh, assertions of disgustingness, but that one, yeah. Blech. The um so my actual bad thing I suppose not exactly a bad thing but there's a weird tone shift mm-hmm. there's a there's a a bit where Natima has a phaser pointed at Quark and she's like give me the cloaking device I'm leaving and he's like I guess you have to shoot me and she shoots him 
And that's where we go to commercial. It's like, ooh, that's pretty badass. Yeah, it turns out she's uh, willing to shoot this guy. Yeah. And then we come back and she's like, oh my God, I shot you. I'm so sorry. That was an accident. I'm actually in love with you. And like, that was a bit of a jarring narrative shift to suddenly go back on the badass thing and to yeah. make her actually sort of weepy and in love with him. Like, mm-hmm. I, I caught back on, like I got back into it, but for a minute it sort of threw me out of the out of the story. I do like him on the floor being shot, though. No, 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 that was great. But like I say, suddenly making her, like, for the for the last three acts, she's just been, no, I'm not in love with you, there's nothing left. Mm-hmm. And then for her to go back on that, oh, God, I love you so much. Like, that was, that was a little weird. Jeez, if I'd known all it would take was me getting shot, I would have done it myself. Yeah. Um, what else? I like how Cisco has absolutely no patience for Garrick's nonsense. Yep. They have a scene together where Garrick's like, yeah, the central command's coming. You might want to uh, give these people up. Mr. Like, Garrick, I won't listen to you. Very well, Commander. You're, you're just a tailor after all. Uh, well, yes. Yeah, no, That's you're right. not. It's, it's just uh, nice to see him sort of call him out for that. Commander, you've been talking to Dr. Bashir. <laughs> Could you as, tell him to leave me alone? As little as possible. <laughs> only when I have to, only at review time. <laughs> oh, doctor. You're fine, go away. <laughs> you get a C plus again. Goodbye. Oh, what thing to happen? <laughs> uh that's pretty much all I had. What about I you? Think so. This episode is written by uh Flip Cobbler, by the way. Yes, Flip Cobbler. <laughs> <laughs> who I who I looked up and apparently also wrote The Lion King 2. Oh. For whatever that's worth. But did he write The Lion King 1 and a half featuring Nathan Lane? Was Nathan Lane in that? He was, uh... Oh, right, right, right. So we've come full circle then. Yep. <laughs> Delightful. Uh, we played quotes, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so we're Both done here. Them. Yeah. Very well. Uh, we are coming up on our appearance at the Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle. Um, we are indeed. March 28th, I believe, the last weekend of March. Uh, we, will, we will have a table there at uh, HH something or other. Uh, we're over by the concession stands. I saw the map. I just I don't have the info in front of me right now. But, nice. Uh, next to our friend Chris Page, as always, yep. which, will, which will be nice. So The lovely by. and talented Chris Page. Yes. See our Star Trek stuff, get some free stuff, get some art from him. He's, mm-hmm. he's a delight as well. Yep. Um... We will not, I, I guess I got to make this announcement uh, because I've mentioned it before. We will not be doing a panel. Uh, they uh, they did not approve us this year. Um, and, and it doesn't sound like necessarily that's a, that's a reflection of quality. It's just they had tons and tons of applicants and they could only approve, I think, like one in three. Nah. And I think they were going for, you know, the maximum diversity and they probably already had some Star Trek stuff. So... Uh, not a big deal. We're we're definitely still in the game as far as that goes. We'll we'll put in for another one. We'll we'll do more. Yeah. But for now it's it's just the table. Um But come we, by. Yeah, absolutely. We're giving away some free stuff. Uh got CDs, got uh buttons, and uh we'll be selling the new episode guide, so uh look forward to that. Yep. And with that, let's go and stop recording now, Matt. Yep. I'm Paul Rudd. <laughs> The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2014. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.